McDanzy. And I'm Hannah Hampton. And you're listening to HR After Hours. I, I figured out where the record button is now. Yay! It, it only took me eight weeks yeah, to exactly. figure it out so we could start recording. All good. Here we go. Three, two, one. All right. Well, oil my chassis and call me Mario. Hannah, I am so excited to be recording with you today in the studio versus outside on a, a hot, steamy day during a smoke yep. break. Oh, yes. I'm excited that we're back indoors. And I have to say, I love uh, your openings that uh, we never practiced. So those laughs are genuine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last week, like I said, we put out that little mini podcast um, and I did get a, a couple emails saying uh, we thought there was some things going on with recruiting here. We're ready for you to get started. Yeah. So I figured why not just uh, start with a little recruiting? Are you OK with that today? Let's talk about it. So you and I have both had uh, different amounts of recruiting as part of our job responsibilities when in the HR role. Obviously, all I do is recruiting now, and it makes me a very, very happy boy. And it makes my wife ecstatic because she says I'm much easier to deal with when I'm not uh, doing HR, especially anything with compliance. But we've all had those tough recruiting incidents Yep. kind of culture, getting the buy-in from the hiring managers and everyone else. Um, and, just, you know, some of those problems, of course, being not being able to get a response when you're right. ready to set up that next interview. The the fav, my favorite, and this is just part of the business. And if if you're feeling still get hurt with it by this when it happens, fellow recruiters, you got to get over it. But mm-hmm. there's there's a tradition in recruiting where the hiring manager, if they feel they're not getting, you know, if you didn't go to that warehouse of great candidates and give them 10 uh, candidates in the first week, they're going to go complain. I don't think recruiting's taking my position seriously. And then you stop everything. You make their opening a top priority. And you have three candidates ready to interview. You call, you email, you text. And you get crickets. Mm-hmm. Have you had some uh, less than desirable experiences like that in your recruiting career, Ms. Hampton? Well, you know, I haven't probably had quite as many as you because my recruiting time is very limited. I spent some time uh, in campus recruiting, which is a whole different animal than uh, what we're discussing here. But certainly I have had my fair share of recruiting is top of mind, recruiting is top priority, and the people that you need to respond are, are less than responsive or less than flexible in helping you do great work. So I feel like that this is one of those pain points that anybody who has to do recruiting feels at one time or another. Absolutely. And it comes down to this. So mm-hmm. one of the longest intros to get me to utter the lines that will be <laughs> the title of this episode ever is recruiting a process or part of your culture. Yes. And there's a lot to that, but we're going to try to make it relatively short and painless. But in my eyes, what that comes down to is getting buy-in, mm-hmm. getting cooperation, mm-hmm. creating communication, establishing expectations and standards and guidelines. I think those are all the things 
go into it being part of your culture. And that's actually going to be part of one of our upcoming topics is how to set the standard for your recruiting process. But the big question is, is it something in your company that's compartmentalized? Is it something that it's just the function of HR and recruiting and the individuals in the department that need staffing? Or is it part of the overall culture. And I think there are definitely some benefits if you can make the recruiting process and the onboarding and the training all flow as part of that company culture. Does that sound a little too hippie? Am I getting a little bit of a or whatever the saying is there? No, not at all. I think right in today's day and age, uh, recruiting is it's competitive. It's a it's a it's a game. You have to be able to uh, compete with other companies, and with the e the internet makes it easy to go out there and to see what jobs are are available. And you know, at this point, with uh, unemployment so low, it's 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 a competitive game where you have to compete with other companies. It's not where uh, you know lots of people are. In, I hate to say in need of the job, but certainly you've got to be more proactive and get out there and really play that game for the person. And at this point, I always say it's not just an HR task anymore, but the entire company needs to get involved in order to win the competitive game of recruiting. And how you need to look at it is you've got to get buy-in from your team and figure out the what's in it for me. So to, selling to non-HR, non-recruiters, the why it's so important that they take time out of their day, they prioritize recruiting to help the entire company win at that game of recruiting. Yes, I, I, I feel like this is something that can go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. There are people that try to get recruiting embedded into their company culture by creating a reactionary, almost negative vibe about it. Well, I'm sorry, Susie, you don't like the last two people I hired for you. Well, how about next time you attend the interviews that you've been invited to and that won't happen again? That's not the way to do anything for your Mm -hmm. culture, let alone the pieces that actually involve people. Mm -hmm. It should be more about you're a member of a successful company. You have created a successful culture, something where everyone wants to move forward. So the way you should promote this culture of recruiting, I feel should be, hey, If you were the member of a great club and Mm -hmm. you had the opportunity to have a say in all the new members of the club being added, and I don't mean that in an elitist, selective way. I mean it as finding people that share your desires, your beliefs, your philosophies for business not you know, not personal, not right. politics, not religion. And if anyone hasn't figured it out yet, guess what? We do not discuss politics on this podcast. Nope. Uh, but it's, when you find that person is going to bring more out of me and I'm going to bring more out of them, if you have the ability to be involved in that, why wouldn't you want to be? Exactly. And I this is how I explain it. 
you, especially if you're working at a company where the culture is amazing, you want to protect it. And I would talk to the team members, especially the ones where there is an open position saying, you, you know, you love coming in, you love working with the people you work with. It's, it's fun. It's engaging. You want that to continue to happen. So I need you to be involved in the process of bringing on t new team members. And some of the activities that I like to have people involved in, and this again creates that buy-in because they're involved in the process from the get-go, is even getting feedback on job description, getting some ideas and feedback on where to source the candidates, tapping into people's networks. You know, it, it's especially if you're somebody like me, I've worked in multiple industries, so I haven't, my network might, my network is definitely going to be different. And uh, if I'm changing industries, which happens sometimes, my network's not going to be the same as somebody who's been working in the industry for 20 years. So again, tapping into people's networks, asking for feedback, asking where to find the candidates, at, you know, basically getting, getting people outside of the HR function involved with their input so they actually feel like they're making a difference. They feel like they're a part of the process, which is going to help them, uh, help them go out there and help, help you find some candidates feel connected to the process, and then thus it turns into the mindset where they are going to, uh, it's going to be part of their work culture is, hey, I want to help find the new people who are joining my team. And, you know, I'm going to throw something else out there that has, it's kind of not part of the process, but if you also have a nice referral bonus, that is a way that's kind of like dangling that carrot that gets people involved because, hey, who doesn't want a little extra money in their pocket? First off, I agree with everything you've said so far, mm -hmm. and this is one of the reasons that you and I get along so well, especially when we're in the same work environment, is because we do share a lot of the same work philosophies. Um, but the big thing is, it's, you know, what I was about to say before you closed is a lot of people are sitting there listening to us and saying, oh, I already do that. I have a referral plan. Or I reach out to the the best two or three people mm -hmm. I've hired this year and I ask them who they know. That is now step one. Where yeah, before, that's basic. That's basic. That's right. Because mm -hmm. it, it used to take a year to get a successful bonus or a referral bonus put together and approved. And then by the time it was all done, you'd get to and everyone say, oh, it's not worth the money. This is like the bare minimum is yep. going to your strongest people. What you need to do to get that team buy-in is ask the individuals, A, of course, the hiring managers in their department, you know, what they've liked about some of their top performers, but that's all really gathering the basic data just to recruit. What you want to do is talk to those team members that do represent the culture and even team members that you think don't and ask them, you know, what do you think the best draw about our company is right now? Mm -hmm. What's the best part of our culture? And of course, what are our areas of opportunity? And you're doing double duty there, right? You're getting uh, some help for determining yeah. how and where to recruit, but you're also getting some FaceTime with your current associates. And some of them may 
give you answers that you know you need, you need to schedule a time or stop what you're doing and go have a, a different conversation. So absolutely, and I'd you know, be surprised just... how many times I found issues when I was going to some of my top performers for feedback. Yeah, and I think you know this brings up a, a good idea of if you're struggling, if you've got a position that you're really struggling to find great people. I set up a round table with people who are in that role and ask some questions. Would you apply to this role? Tell me, you know, what do you like most about working here? And really getting that information that's going to help you find great candidates because let's let's get real. What sometimes what happens if a position's open long enough, people can tend to get desperate and that's when you hire that wrong person and hiring the wrong person is can it can make that can cause issues within the company. It can hurt the culture. It can hurt productivity. So making sure that you're being proactive and don't get to the point where you do a desperation hire, um, and spending that time understanding. Well, maybe if something's broken, if I'm not able to hire that right person, why is that? I, I, I you know, I, I love the information that you just shared, and I, I really think uh, making sure you're proactive and finding that and finding all of that feedback is. And the big thing, too, and this is where, you know, everything we've said should be pseudo basic or at least have roots and things people know. But then here's where I think we have an area of opportunity as recruiters when we're trying to build that culture is go to the individuals that this person that you're hiring is going to interact with, not necessarily report to, you know, you have different departments that have to partner up and do tasks together or just spend a lot of time in the same meetings and ask that person, what are some of the deficiencies in communication or partnership that you've seen from other people's in this role? Or what are the mm-hmm. coolest things or the most rewarding things you've ever seen done in this role that allowed the, that department to partner with your team better or the best? Uh, or just as simply, hey, tell me about the time that these teams worked the best together mm-hmm. and what was different about then versus now. And then that way, all of a sudden, these, you know, you're getting rid of these silos and other people are giving you feedback. And remember, anytime the more people you bring in, that's more cooks in the kitchen, you're Mm -hmm. going to get a negative Nancy. You're going to get someone that is going to constantly all of a sudden want to be involved in the hiring process when it's not their role, et cetera. But you know what? That's that's an okay price to pay to get that much additional information and feedback. Certainly. Certainly. And at the same time, just say, hey, who is the person that you've worked with throughout your career that you think um, best represents our current culture today or has overcome similar obstacles to what our company is struggling with today? Because you may find a way to incorporate that person or at least get to know their style and utilize that throughout the hiring process as well. Yes, absolutely. But I, you know, kind of ultimately here, I, I just think what, what we're really trying to say and the most important bit of information is that recruiting, it needs to be a part of the company culture. It can't just be a process anymore. Gone are the days of just putting an ad in the paper and working through applications from that. We're in a different world. It's a different, uh, it's just a different ball game. So, 
it's really important that we do take the steps to ensure that recruiting becomes a part of the culture and it's on everyone's mindset, not just in the human resources department. And you know what, Hannah, with that, I'm going to shut my pie hole and say, well said, well said indeed. (laughs) Holy shnikes, Hannah, do you know what time it is? What time is it? Well, I believe it's time for a smoke break. (laughs) Smoke break. Oh my gosh, Hannah. So I have totally meant to bring this up for the last (laughs) couple weeks, and I feel like uh, I'm so mad at myself for not bringing it up earlier. So this is, I'm glad we got the smoke break together because yes. I'm going to tell you something that um, I think is going to blow your mind. Okay. And uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but I don't want to set you up too much for on this one or not. But I recently read that in Carmel, Indiana, which is an affluent su- suburb uh, north of Indianapolis, um, their high school's got a, had a lot of money. There's some good contributors, alumni, et cetera great uh, sports heritage, you, you know, things like that. Um, but I read a couple weeks ago that starting this year, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. This one is, um, I file this one under what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> starting this year, teachers mm-hmm. are going to add to their work day an hour in the morning or an hour to two on each side of the day. And in addition to their normal classroom activities and workload, they're going to start driving school buses. What? (laughs) What? You heard that correctly, Anna Hampton. You have just completed a minimum of four years in college. Some of these teachers have master's degrees and are still working on their continued education. You've uh, received your accreditations. You've done your teaching certificates and validations. You've done some sub time. You've taught in different environments. Welcome to the wonderful world of education. Here's the key to your flipping bus. I mean, okay, so I've got I've got many feelings on this one, and I am the child of an educator. And I, you know, putting aside, you know, that you're college educated, your certificates, your master's degrees, whatever it might be, I can't imagine why anybody would think this was a good idea. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm completely blown away here. I, 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 I can't imagine like my parent driving a bus in the morning, having to then uh, do a full day of teaching and then at the end of your day driving a bus again. I mean, for, first of all, that's got to be a stressful way to start and end your day. Second of all, I mean, aren't there any rules around who can drive a bus? Do you have to have a special license? I, I, I myself can't imagine trying, driving a vehicle that, that large and then having the lives of children in my hands. I just, I, I'm blown away. <laughs> It makes one wonder, doesn't it? Um, you know, who's in charge of the school board? If it's the school board that made this decision, you know, I am assuming, and I know what they say about the word assume, that, you know, this was a fiscal decision. You know, sure. I know schools have always had tight budgets, et cetera. But like I said, it'd be different. Well, it, first off, it wouldn't be different where it took place because this should not be taking place. So here's my editorial. This is horseshit. Okay. And then 
The other piece, though, is if it was made for fiscal reasons, I could see, you know, it maybe being in some, and I'm sure this has probably t- already been taking place in maybe some rural communities where there's just limited resources versus finances. Um, but if this was in a, a, a predominantly underfunded area, but this is a very prominent, affluent area that has the money to pipeline into very successful sports programs. And I think part of the reason I waited to bring it up, like I said, it was partly by mostly by accident. But maybe I was waiting for the follow up story or the outrage to where this would be quickly reversed. You know, I haven't seen anything yet. Now, I haven't looked, but I would think every time I've seen the story, you know, here's the teacher starting his day, greeting his students, you know, boarding the bus. And there was no editorial attached to it. And maybe they would they would not have been granted the access to the school and to the teachers to interview uh, if they had editorialized it. I don't know. I can't figure it out because, I mean, file me baffled or I'm just in awe that that this is taking place because I know some great educators and they have a routine that prepares them for this long day of teaching, yeah. you know, of educating. And it involves them getting up and having their coffee or their tea and some meditating, some reading. But it's basically this preparation to engage with students that knowing that a good percentage of those students like to push back or cause a little upheaval. And don't get me wrong, I was... I know there are a couple teachers that would love to run into me in an alley somewhere with a sock full of nickels. Um, I, you know, I did not give all of my teachers the respect they deserved. I did have a few teachers that were mentors uh, that I looked up to, and it was like I was two different students, you know, uh, when I was in school. But at my worst. I could not imagine getting driving a school bus for an hour and then coming in and starting off your day with dealing with Mick Danzig and his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I yeah, think and you know, just and, blows my mind. Yeah, and I and not to get it back to an HR topic, but I can't imagine trying to recruit teachers to come to that school if you're being told like, oh, and by the way, you have to drive the bus too. I think if I were a teacher, and and I know there's a shortage of teachers out there, I think I would take a little less money or a less prominent school if I knew I didn't have to drive a bus. Because to me, that sounds extremely stressful to have to deal with driving a bus in the morning. And I can't imagine that I would bring my A-game to my classroom if I started and ended my day in a stressful role. Like, we all know that, like, truck drivers and, and... Taxi drivers, that's a stressful job. It's it's out there. The data's out there. So I can't imagine putting that stress on myself and then having to bring my A game. So I think it's a terrible idea. I mean, I, unless somebody can bring me some information to show me otherwise, but I think the idea is terrible. The professional bus drivers have that gap in the middle of the day to relax so they can handle the students on the drive home. You know, they have whatever it is. I'm sure that if I were to pursue a career in boxing, 
that a great way to mentally condition myself and bring out that tiger in me, grr, would be to drive a school bus in the morning. And then I'd go into my gym and I would beat the hell out of that punching bag. Hey, here's an idea, Carmel, Indiana. Let's not make our students that punching bag. I, I just think this is an all-around bad idea. I'm surprised that I'm not hearing more of an uproar about it. And I just... I just can't wrap my head around this. So mm-hmm. like Anna said, if anyone out there can shoot us some information that explains the a true justification, not yeah. how it was justified to make this happen. But if you can convince us um, that we're wrong, I need to hear from you. Please yeah. shoot us an email because otherwise I am I'm ready to go out front and shake my rake. Because I cannot believe that this is what society has come to today. Get off my lawn, damn it. <laughs> Three, two. On that note, that's all the time we have for today. Well, and as you can tell, we do need your help. Some of us more than others, right, Mick? Absolutely. Could it be more obvious? <laughs> well, how can they help and where can they find us? Well, first, what they can do is email us with any topics for future episodes, questions they want answered, or if they just want to send some inappropriate photos to (laughs) mail at hrafterhours.com. Or you can always visit our Instagram page at hrafterhours or Twitter, where we have all of three followers at hr underscore hours. Well, we look forward to hearing from you and we'll catch you next time. 